0: Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Hello and welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive podcast. Ahead of sharing this week's message, I wanted to pop in the feet to let you know two things about this audio that you should be aware of. Firstly, the following sermon was preached after the baptism of three members of the congregation. As such, there are various allusions to this baptism and the people who were baptised throughout the sermon. Secondly, unfortunately there is a small part of the sermon towards the end that was unrecoverable and so unable to be shared. It doesn't substantively change the message, so we felt it was still good to share this sermon with you today but do bear with the short amount of silence before the sermon picks back up again. We do hope that this message is an encouragement to you. Every blessing.
1: Let's read another little passage from the New Testament, and then I want to open that up for a few minutes before we end. It's from Luke's Gospel, and it comes from the 13th chapter, and it's the paragraph... Beginning in verse twenty-two, in, in our version of the Bible that we tend to use here, is actually given the little subtitle or the heading, "The Narrow Door." It goes like this: Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, "Lord, are only a few people going to be saved?" Jesus said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you, or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank in with you and, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you, or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. They will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first, who will be last? I'm always very grateful for the people in the New Testament who ask Jesus as he goes along um, just questions that then produce illuminating answers. I, it's not dissimilar, I suppose, to people who ask John Major questions at Prime Minister's question time, although I, I sometimes wonder, you know, when you hear these people stand up and say, well, my right, wonderful friend, care to tell us all? Just how well the British economy is doing at the moment. And then he looks as if he's, you know, just spontaneously got, 82 statistics that he can pass on uh, to show that sort of nonsense. Well, Jesus was asked questions and we have recorded these kind of replies and he's been moving towards Jerusalem gradually and somebody at this point has the guts to ask him what probably many people were, were thinking and wondering. How many, in fact, are going to be in your eternal kingdom? Big number or small number? It's dawning on Jesus uh, it's dawning on the people in the crowd that Jesus is making a clean cut division within society. Some have eternal life, some will not have eternal life. And so the man says, Well, how many? But behind that lies an underlying question. Surely, what about me? Is it true for me? Is there going to be a space for me? Can I be sure that there's a place for me? And if so, On what basis? And you notice as we read through the story that Jesus doesn't answer directly. He quite often doesn't, actually. What he does instead is tell this story. And it is quite a severe story of people who find themselves being excluded. He does not say, don't you worry about that. I'm sure you will be just fine. Everybody will be all right in the end. God is so loving and forgiving that nobody need worry about questions like that. Now he tells this story of people finding themselves, to their utter astonishment, excluded from God. And he begins there in verse 34, perhaps fixing the questioner with his eyes. You make sure, you make every effort that you're in. You're included. Now at this stage in Luke's Gospel, if you were to read through the whole thing at a sitting, you could do it in about two and a half hours. At this particular stage, in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, there's a whole cluster of stories that have this one thing in common. They picture the salvation that Christ came to speak of and to make available as a feast, as a banquet. You get here in chapter 13, people arriving and entering through a narrow door into a great feast and a banquet. At the next chapter, there's the story of the prodigal son. We know it that way, and he comes home eventually and his father throws a great party and his brother refuses to go in. There's the story of, of people being given their invitations and and they don't accept them, and then the poor and the lame and the blind, they they are welcomed in. There's the story about a man who feasted, it was party time all his life, and there was a poor man, a beggar, at his gate who had nothing, but actually their situations were eternally, ultimately reversed. And God is consistently pictured throughout all these stories as being very kind, very generous, very open-hearted, welcoming people. He wants your company. He wants the pleasure of fun with you, as it were. He wants you to be seated at this great banquet that he is preparing. That's how it's all pictured. But in every single one of those stories, there are people who miss out either deliberately or unwittingly, they'll find themselves outside that picture of heaven and eternity. This is so important. Jesus is taking time to analyse why this happened. It is possible, apparently, to go through the whole of life and the end of it to be an utter disaster. You've travelled through life and then find yourselves excluded from the company of a God like that forever. And because this is so important, because we must understand how this can be so, Jesus is taking time to to analyze and explain how this comes about. Make sure, he says, absolutely sure that you arrive. The door is narrow, said the passage. People come in and are welcomed one by one. I'd just been away and for a couple of days with my wife. We stayed in a place with a very wide door. There were steps going out. We could have come in with two or three people. I thought was clutching our luggage. A great, sweeping entrance to this little place we went to. Jesus says, actually, people arrive in eternity one by one. They are to be welcomed one by one individually. And in verse 25, one day, the door will be shut. There will be a last one in. And the first one to find themselves excluded. That door, says the Lord, is wide open today. But nowhere in the word of God are we encouraged to believe that this world as we know it is just going to roll on and on forever like it now is. And as Jesus moves towards the outcome of his own earthly life, within a very short time after this, He is going to be put on trial and publicly executed. He is increasingly urgently reminding people of the two possible outcomes and destinies of their own lives. To be either inside the Father's house or outside with its consequent loss and pain forever. And Peter draws attention in the story that he tells to two reactions on the part of those that find themselves cut out. Number one, a sense of utter shock. They are astonished and surprised. They thought that they could turn up whenever they liked, that there was never any great urgency about this. They would constantly be able to just go and get in. But their expectation of a welcome was completely groundless. And the (coughs) frantic knocking at the door (coughs) is met with the awesome words, really. I never knew you. That voice from inside says, I just never knew you. And they plead, this, we, 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 we ate food in your presence, we, we've listened to many servants, we know your views on many things, we, we've heard some of your talks. They thought that those two things, simply eating in the presence of Christ or in the presence of God and hearing some of his sermons was going to be enough to gain them entry. What is required, Jesus tells us, direct personal knowledge of God himself, a direct personal relationship so that you know him and he supernaturally begins to change your heart. Twice Jesus says, the reply comes from behind that door, I don't know you. And the second time he says, away. You're still evil doers. You've never ever let the Holy Spirit begin to change your heart and life. Still evil doers. As to say, I went to communion. I ate in your presence or I listened to some of your talks Well, what a feeble, a pathetic response, that is. If you never actually knew the master or had time for it. Friend of mine, known uh, to some here in the church, uh, there was uh, going to be a a New Year's Eve party uh, in the home. It was being given by his uh, teenage children. And he wasn't going to go away for the evening, he was going to stay around. And when we asked him later on how did it go, he said it was awful. There were gate crashes came in from some local pub, there was astonishing damage, there was theft, they pulled radiators off the wall, they wrecked my pictures, they ate the food, they destroyed all the stuff that was in the freeze. The they just wrecked the home. And he, he told me with almost tears in his eyes about how terrible this thing had been. This wasn't like, you know, the Yellow Pages advert where you can just phone someone up and they come around and, and restore the old master or get the scratches off the, the French Polish table or whatever. And the thing that hurt him most was this. He said, I didn't know them. Those people that came that night, there was over a 100 of them, I didn't know them. God isn't going to have that in the great party that he eventually, as it were, throws in heaven. The people who go are people who will know him, who will care about that relationship with him, who will feel grateful personally to him, who will enjoy being in his presence. For them the whole point of being there is that he is there because they know him. Jesus is telling us one day some will hear those last words ringing in their ears, I don't know you. He draws attention to that shock. And the second thing he draws attention to is the sense of bitter frustration. He says there will be tears, there will be little sort of clenching and grinding of teeth because others will arrive. Abraham's mentioned and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets and people from throughout the ages and from every corner of the earth. And they're all expected. A place reserved for them. What do you do when you go to a wedding? It is one of these, um, you know, slightly, slightly formal weddings. They have the sort of the line where you, um, you know, you queue up for ages and the poor bride mother is, you know, her, uh, April months, is aching like because you'd have to you'd be so nice to everybody, and, and nod, and thank you, and the bride has been kissed on both cheeks by loads of people she doesn't even know. And you sort of go through the line, you leave your present, um, on the table set, or if you haven't got a present, you, you stick a label on, on whatever thing like the biggest present, claiming that it's from you. I and mean, you do whatever you have to do. And eventually you get through all this business. And then you come to either a board uh, that has all the place names on it. Or you, you wander into the room where people are going to sit down, where there are the little little cards on the table. And you look to see, where am I? You know where the bride and bridegroom are going to sit on the bridesmaid. You want to know where you're going to sit. Are you expected? Yes. There's your name. Then what do you do next? You look to see who you're going to have to talk to for the next two hours. <laughs> just to be known and expected and they have put some little thought into putting you with some, some dear soul who no one else will talk to, or whatever. I get that all the time. They just think, you know, he's got the gift of the gab, put him with aunt so-and-so. The New Testament talks about God having a bit of frustration when both will find themselves thrown out. But what are we to do as we come to the end tonight? For many of you, no doubt, some even baptized here All of this has done tonight has just been to to make you feel again doubly grateful for a God who knows you and loves you and cares for you and has perhaps years ago, decades ago, written your name on that guest list in heaven. And for you, perhaps the, the central, simplest explanation of what being a Christian is all about is getting to know God and enjoying that relationship. But there may well be others here who lack that assurance. What should you do? Just listen to another sermon? You haven't got the plot yet. Merely listening to sermons was one of the things that was so shocking. It, it led nowhere. Go back. Jesus put it like this. He said, my sheep, changing the, the metaphor, my sheep, they listen to my voice. And God may well have been speaking to one or two of you here tonight in a particular way. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Have you got it? They listen. We know each other. They follow me. I protect them forever. What to do? Respond to that personal invitation that's clearly in a story like this. This is not something that anybody else can do for you. Just as nobody could believe for you, leading into that baptismal tank, nobody can respond to what God is saying to you. Turn to me. Open your heart to me and my truth. Listen and believe my word. Ask Christ for not only a place at his table, but that relationship that's personal that can begin the moment you turn to him and ask for it. Jesus, as I said right at the beginning, came not just to give us even stories like this, not just to load us down with more rules and religious regulations, but to die on the cross for us. Because all the rules, regulations, all the high idealism, all the moral principles in the end only makes us feel more guilty. And he died to take all that guilt and make it himself to die for us, to remove as far as the east is from the west. We heard that earlier. Remove our sins from us. Turn to him and thank him for doing that for you. Get to know him in that personal sense as the one who died for you. And now we'll teach you how to live. Turn from the kind of wrong thinking and wrong acting that would otherwise leave you as one whom Jesus characterizes in the story as an evildoer. And do it now. It can be done now. Even as we come to the end of our service quietly, Privately, in your hearts, turn and say, Lord, be my savior. Teach me from now on. I want the help that can come from your family. And just as Jenny and Ben and Alex, in their own individual ways, stories that include bits of California and Brazil and Scotland, and God working through family and in many other ways, they all came to that point of saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your forgiveness. I want to thank you for the cross. I want to live for you. You tell the Lord that. You find you too have come to one of those hinge points in life, one of those turning points. The Lord, by his power and with his love and truth, begins to enable you to live differently. That is the start of eternity. Maybe we've done a life to Jesus, that men and women might know God. We turn to him as sinners and we find that we're forgiven. We turn to him as needy people. We find that he promises to meet our needs for the rest of life. We turn to him with empty hands. We find that he fills them with good things. You turn. He keeps his word. I brought with me, as I do on these occasions, copies, one or two copies of a little booklet. I've actually got Three different kinds of booklets. One's called Journey Into Life. One's called Come Follow Me. One's called Starting With Christ. If you'd like one of these to help you actually begin as a Christian, you've only got to come and ask me for one at the end, and I will give you one. If you ask me three times, I guess I'll give you all three. But underneath and behind the humour, you need to get this settled with God. Don't go away from here tonight without having made a decision that you know needs to be made. Whoever comes to me, says the Lord, I'll never, ever turn them away. My sheep, they know me. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ and how he takes individuals and makes himself real to them. Not just mums and dads, but children, teenagers, young people, each new generation. And Lord, we want to be just quiet for a moment before you and to consider honestly our own situation in the light of these words of Scripture. help us to follow you as one who knows you forevermore. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.nigel.org livingleadership.org God bless.